Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I'm your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have on the line Mr. Chris Sheridan. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing great. Great to be here. And I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. That's available on Amazon.com or CosmicEye.org. And Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky, also available on Amazon.com or at ChrisSheridan.com. Today we are talking about the wisdom of the knowing ones. Mr. Manley Hall's fantastic book uh, subtitled Gnosticism, The Key to Esoteric Christianity. We are probably going to only cover the first introduction uh, the in, the introduction portion of it. Uh, there's a lot of dense material in this book. It's an excellent, excellent introduction to understanding Gnosticism, um, Hermeticism, the Hermetic traditions in general, and then and then the subsequent esoteric groups that kind of followed uh, during the Renaissance and so forth um, in in their footsteps. So really, just a, a fantastic book for understanding the mysteries and um, some of these secret societies. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about this introduction's author. Uh, his name is Stephen Heller. He is the Bishop of the Gnostic Church in Los Angeles. And he is a, a, a wonderful man. And I, both I and Chris have, uh, have met and spoken with him many, many, many times. Uh, I used to see him every Wednesday night when he was doing his lectures out at, at, at the Philosophical Research Society, Manley Hall's uh, uh, PRS which is on Los Feliz in L.A., uh, hallowed uh, institution for both Chris and I. We were both, uh, uh, both involved with that institution. Chris, for much longer, what, 12 years you were there? Yeah, 12 plus. And I would teach on Thursday nights when I taught there. I had taught on Thursday nights in That's the right. classroom. We That's told, right. Helen and I were uh, colleagues, I guess you could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At and some point. Exactly. And, and Heller, I remember on Wednesday, used to come in before his classes and we would often talk. And he actually made uh, some wonderful recommendations of books and people that I could get in touch with that really changed the, the course of, of my life, actually. I you know, kind of had completely forgotten about that. It was one of those kind of synchronous events that uh, really did put me in a, in a different direction. Two of my most influential teachers uh, on magic and Kabbalah actually uh, uh, derived from uh, from Heller's recommendation of me to them. So that was really a, a blessing, and I and I'm grateful to him. And he's a, he's a wonderful speaker. If you get a chance uh, to to check him out, uh, he's on YouTube. Uh, Stephan S T E P H A N H O E L L E R Stephan Heller. Just a, just a wonderful teacher and a a wealth of knowledge about magic, Gnosticism, Jungian studies, Kabbalah, you name it. He has been studying it for over 50 or 60 years now. What is he, about 80 years old now? He's in his 80s, definitely. Yeah. And he still speaks, and he still has YouTube videos put up, I think, every week. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I dig him in a, in a big way. Um, so he wrote the introduction to this Wisdom of the Knowing Ones, and he and, and Manley Hall were, were, were very close, and he is, he's a very uh, a big uh, fan. I don't want to even say a fan, but he, he constantly references Manley Hall and is very reverent of his work. Would you agree with that? And, and as a person, um, he makes very clear, uh, because he had known 
Mr. Hall since the early 70s and had been a regular speaker at the PRS mm -hmm. uh, for a very, very long time. So it was a, a long uh, connection um, that they had um, with each other. Um, and but he makes he, he really makes the point clear when I hear him talk about Manly Hall specifically that not only was Mr. Hall a big man, he was six four, he was he was physically large. Um, and not only did he have this this wonderful mind that was huge and vast with all this knowledge and information and uh, able to recall, you know, just incredible details on a broad range of subjects, he equally, according to Mr. Heller, Dr. Heller, um, had had a bigger, if not if not bigger, <laughs> heart than his mind and his body. And uh, I always thought that was really interesting. But he, you know, it's very easy to say Manley Hall was, you know, smart and learned and uh, very educated, um, you know, self-educated and, and incredibly smart, maybe a genius. Uh, but to say that his heart was even bigger than his mind uh, from somebody who would know uh, is very telling. And it's, yeah. uh, it's very good to know that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, both of us, unfortunately, never were able to meet him since uh, Mr. Hall died in 1991, right? Uh, 90. Yes. 90. Sorry. Mm -hmm. You see, I, I, my dates are not. <laughs> I'm I not the Your genius. Your whole year off. I'm Jeez. not the genius that, that Mr. <laughs> Hall was. So, all right. So the 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 uh, section starts where uh, Dr. Heller actually introduces the Nag Hammadi finds. Uh, 13 papyrus scrolls that were found, uh, actually the papyrus books, they're not scrolls, they were papyrus books, uh, and they were found in, in a cave a, a near, near Nakamadi, uh, Egypt. And uh, legend has it that when the, the, uh, the jar containing those scrolls was broken, that a golden cloud of dust arose into the air and then disappeared. And it was as if that, uh, he, he said, it's as if that confined presence had found its way into the light of day again. I was reminded when he said that of, of this is the gold image of that golden thread or that golden chain idea that that ageless wisdom that comes, you know, back from ancient time and is the source of, of most of our religious and spiritual traditions, certainly the esoteric traditions that exist today and did in the Renaissance and, up, you know, up to this point today. Uh, we're, we're in that same tradition the Gnostics were in that, that sort of, that sort of golden chain. And it's interesting that gold color that comes out of the, of the broken, the broken vase. So I, I enjoyed that a broken jar. It's like a more is a clay jar. So that I found that interesting. Yeah. The, um, speaking of that, that golden chain that leads what, a little bit into what we, what we talk about, um, in our last uh, or in our podcast episode 15 uh, who was uh, Hermes who was Toth Hermes Trismegistus uh, so check out episode 15 if you want to kind of understand some some of what what, what we're talking about right now uh, get a little more information about that there the the hermetic tradition is is different than the Gnostic tradition but it does uh, come from from similar sources similar mystical mystical insights and sources to be sure uh, and of course, those later groups include the Cathars, the Rosicrucians, Knights Templar, Esoteric Freemasons, Theosophy, and then the modern magical groups of the Golden Dawn and the OTO, the OTA, et cetera, all these different groups so, uh, are all kind of uh, from that tradition. So getting into the kind of heart of this Gnosticism, Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, 
This word, uh, I think, uh, throws people sometimes. Uh, it's usually translated as knowledge, as knowledge, as, as the sort of um, the opposite of it is, is an agnostic who says uh, it's not possible to know anything about the higher world or the ultimate realities or God. They're not saying that, that, that they don't deny or affirm the existence of God. They just say it's not possible to know anything about it. Whereas Gnostics say, no, it's quite possible. And, uh, you know, here's the way that you do it. And here are some of the some of the tools and some of the mythology and, and so on that you can use to, to, to find that insight. Speaking of insight, uh, Dr. Heller points out that Elaine Pagels likes to translate the word gnosis as insight. So more of an experiential knowing. I really, I re- I really like that term. What do you think of that? Insight? Yeah, that's, that's great. And, um, you know, an insight that's derived from experience. From experience. Exactly. And it's not, it's not based on some assent to a particular idea or doctrine that someone else found out, but something that you found to be true, which is why Gnosticism is often compared to Buddhism and often compares itself to Buddhism, even those within the movement today, the sort of neo-Gnostics and, and Gnostics that find their lineage back to the, you know, the early uh, 19th century and so forth. Uh, there was a church that was created by, I believe, Jules uh, Duanel. And Heller Heller makes reference to that. I think he is in his church is in that lineage, isn't it? In that uh, French Gnostic uh, lineage that kind of goes back to the the late eighteen uh, hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Do you know about that or no? I don't know much about that, but um, you know, you mentioned one of his titles is bishop. He's also been called yeah. the bishop of Los Angeles, or bishop yeah, exactly. Of um, w- which gives a Roman Catholic kind of bang to it. Which sure. Um, you know, the Gnostics or the Gnosticism of, say, uh, St. Teresa or uh, St. John of the Cross, who wrote um, Dark Night of the Soul, um, would be in in that context. Yeah, of... he pointed that out. He talked about how they were in a similar a similar sort of mystical tradition. But he, he, he did make a distinction between uh, between their their Gnosis and the Gnosis of the Gnostic Christians. Did you notice that it was like a subtle difference? Because uh-huh. I guess they, the, the Catholics, you know, the Catholic mystics still held Catholic doctrine to be, to be, you know, true and, and valuable. I think the Gnostics rejected that orthodox idea, but still found that, that insight and that, that experience of God in a different, in a different way. Well, I think it was just the context mainly, mm-hmm. um, you know, under which they lived. Uh, they were, you know, Teresa and um, St. John were, you know, of course they were, punished and and um <laughs> you know not thought highly that's of, a good point lifetimes yeah. they were canonized sure. later um but i think it was just the framework under which they had to operate and under which they lived uh, so it did have an influence but uh, but yes i like what you're saying interesting that, no that you're, you're, that's an that, interesting point they got yeah. to the core they got to the essence that underlies this foundation of gnosticism yeah. so whether it's semitic or you know roman catholic or uh, you know, early Christian mystic approach, uh, or say a modern 20th century uh, non-believer who's just interested in this, uh, then that's your framework. Um, and but you, if you study and then you apply it, and you get to this, you know, insightful knowing, uh, like Pagels mentioned, um, you can still get to it, even if the starting yeah. place is a little different. Speaking of that, uh, that Elaine Pagels book is is an excellent place. Uh, 
to begin your journey into knowledge of the history of, of Gnosticism and the Gnostic Gospels. It's a book's titled the Gnostic, the Gnostic Gospels, and her, uh, her last name is Pagels, P-A-G-E-L-S. She was at, uh, I think she's still at Princeton, professor there. She's a renowned scholar in this area, and she's actually quite a genius. That book is, uh, is excellent. Um, so Gnosticism itself then is is this movement um it it, it stated in around um 200 ad uh, 200 to 400 ad somewhere a little maybe a little earlier maybe a little bit later but it's kind of flourishing was during about you know 200 ad mainly in egypt and and rome and areas of greece and so on um heller uh points out too that Oftentimes people see either no connections or too many connections. And he kind of kind of tries to clear that up between these different Gnostic groups. And he says, while there may have been numerous Gnostic teachers and schools, this does not mitigate against the fact that there was one Gnosticism, uh, which is what united the various Gnostic orientations. And it was more important than what divided them. What, what, what actually held them together, he's saying, is more important than when, what divided them. So one of the uniting factors was a common dedication to the founder of the Christian tradition, Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's making the point that he defines the Gnostic as, uh, as, a, as, a, Christian, as a Christian follower of, of Gnosticism. There were what might be called pagan Gnostics, and that's where the Hermeticists come into play, uh, who didn't necessarily... Um, except Jesus. And uh, he, he, he calls them more precisely in, in, his, uh, in his view, Hermeticists. And many people use that term as well, uh, instead of Gnostic for them. And then he also pointed out that there were Jewish sects, uh, which resembled Gnostics. Um, and some people call them Jewish Gnostics. Uh, but he points out that they're more accurately uh, Kabbalists or followers of the Merkaba tradition which is a chariot. It's kind of a, a symbolic way of ascending to God. Um, so essentially, um, what Heller believes about uh, Gnostics is that their tradition wasn't specifically inherited, although they do have things in common with these, these, these other wisdom traditions. Uh, much of the way that they, they came up with their, their ideas and their mythology was not in fact borrowed, but it was de derived from their ideas um, that were were gained in in a mystical experience. Hence the the gnosis. That really is what what's at the core of this movement. It's a personal, experiential uh, type of religious movement, as opposed to one of 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 worship and dogma and orthodoxy and tradition. So what you're dealing with here is people who are having revelations and prophecies and visions, and they're essentially, you know, bringing these things to light in, in their gospels, their writings, their, their ritual and, and all of that. Uh, so it's a very living form of, uh, of a religious movement, as opposed to maybe a more orthodox faith, which says, okay, here's what you need to do. And here's what you need to believe and just follow these rules and you'll, you'll get there. Uh, so that's quite a, that was quite a threat to the early church. And there's quite a bit of uh, discussion about that in the book and how uh, the early church tried to stamp them out and so forth. Um, one thing that I noticed that he, he brought up, which I found very interesting, um, 
was the idea that he, he found that Gnostics were trying to be sort of a buffer between the pagan world and the Christian world. And in fact, were rejected by both for doing so. That's actually very funny. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. I'm like, here's these guys trying to go, hey, guys, can't we all just get along? And then both of them hate them. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, they both try to stamp them out. Which, they're like, man, come on. That probably <laughs> means I mean, you're on to something. I, I exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which it's, which is interesting that you know it's it's you know Gnosticism today is 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 quite popular. Just look on YouTube and you'll see how many people are talking about it or looking into it or discussing movies like The Matrix um, with a you know Gnostic lens and then linking that up to the work of Jung and so forth. And you know there's a there's a lot of interest in this work today. So that 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 find it at Nagamati was very auspicious, and I think it ushered in a, a new a new age of, of Gnosticism in a way. Well, and, and Heller does is. point that out. Yeah. Right. There is. And, um, and even uh, since we are on a podcast, um, I will pitch another podcast. It's Aeon Byte, A-E-O-N-B-Y-T-E. And it's uh, a guy named Miguel uh, Connor. I think he's out of Houston, uh, which is great because uh, Rice University has, um, you know, very interesting uh, mythological and, uh, you know, wisdom uh, school, uh, their university uh, that is open to these types of things and has events applied for that every year. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. I, think it was yeah I actually applied for the PhD there. Yeah. Uh, but he has a very, uh, very interesting, has great guests, uh, sometimes a whimsical, um, but very entertaining approach, um, to it. Uh, so it's just, you know, again, that's it, cool. It's I another... actually, I've never heard that. Yeah, it's it definitely worth listening it to. He's got like little sound bites and always has a, and he's kind of a character, you know and I mean? It's very entertaining mm -hmm. and uh, it's just, you know. Um, nice. Yeah. It, nice. It's, it's proof that this stuff is again yeah, it's coming up again. The, it's still in the consciousness, isn't it? And it's, it's coming up. Maybe now mm -hmm. we were talking about the different contexts or different forms, you know, that the, you know, whether, you know, a Catholic or, uh, early Christian or even a, a Jewish uh, or pagan approach to Gnosticism. Well, here's, you know, maybe a more modern technological, um, you know, way post Nag Hammadi. Mm -hmm. uh, those were discovered before most of us listening now were born. And, um, and in this digital era, using you know, digital tools um, and then reframing Gnosticism in this context for this audience. So it really says something about the enduring principles of quality. It. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. So anyway, we're going to get in then to the kind of the difference between uh, uh, Gnosticism and, and Orthodox Christianity in case, you know, the listeners don't know that, I, you know, sometimes we take for granted that, Oh, you know, this is a, a, this is Christianity. This is this, this is that. And assume that people know, but, you know, today, uh, you know, we live in a pretty secular world and not as many people are exposed to the ideas in the Bible, uh, to Christianity, to Judaism, to to these uh, different ideas and stories as as used to be. So I'll kind of uh, just do a quick overview. The basic Orthodox Christian view of the world, I'm oversimplifying this and it, there are vast differences and subtleties within um, the different denominations. But more or less, this is the Orthodox, quote unquote, Orthodox Christian view. The world that we're in is in a sort of a fallen state, a state of original sin, essentially, because of Adam and Eve's transgressions in the Garden of Eden. 
So essentially, Jesus came as a as a as a savior and a sacrifice to appease uh, God's anger, I guess, for for this sin and to atone for the sins that we as men commit, we as human beings commit um, and are stained with uh, just to to begin with. So there's an idea of original sin that you're born a sinful creature in this in this worldview. So unless then. We are we become an, an Orthodox Christian or baptized and we go through the various, uh, as, as, you know, ascents to the different doctrines and dogmas, then more or less we are, are going to go to hell. And again, I, I, that's an oversimplification, <laughs> but that's kind of the old school Orthodox version of it. In contrast, Gnostics believe that the world was created in a sort of flawed manner by a sort of a flawed creator and that the world itself that earth, this whole earthly life is kind of inherently filled with suffering. This is very similar to a Buddhist idea that, you know, all, all life is suffering. I mean, when we think about it, life is killing, you know, eating tragedies, sicknesses, old age, death, inevitable, inevitable sufferings. Oftentimes we don't want to think about that or believe it or feel that it's pessimistic, but you know, look around and there it is. Um, And so the way out of this suffering, um, begins with wisdom and that 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 wisdom will end up uh leading to gnosis or insight and and that is the way way through the suffering again very very similar to uh to a sort of buddhist uh or 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 even some some hindu uh uh some hindu uh faith as well uh generally gnostics believe that the world uh was created by what was called the uh, demiurgos demiurge is how we translate that and it means craftsman so he's a creator God that either forgot who he was, that he was created by another God, this God of truth and light behind him, a sort of a universal God, or he's impersonating that universal God. And then again, there's various stories in, in different Gnostic traditions uh, highlighting that, that, that information. I think symbolically what, it, what, what it's kind of getting at is that we have to kind of go beyond our, our personal ideas, our sort of... Um, you know, our anthropomorphized versions of what we think God is to get to the truth. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, symbolically, I think that's what it's getting at. Um, but, but, you know, they, they, it's, it's quite possible that they literally, that they literally believe that. Um, so anyway, in the end, humans do have within them, though, a divine spark. And that is connected to the light of the true God. Somehow that was, it, they were created by the, they were created by the Demiurge, but the, they have the sort of a potential of the true God in them still. And there's, there's various complicated myths from, from different, different types of, of Gnosticism that, that elaborate on this. Um, but that's, that's kind of the essence of it. And that spark is actually older. It's more ancient than this created world. And that's kind of what we have to get back in touch with. We're ignorant of that divine spark within us. Uh, so I, I found that pretty fascinating. Definitely. And then, you know, he got into that part, you may remember this, it was uh, where he talked about the three types of, of people, the three types of human beings. Do you remember this? Where he spoke about the pneumatics. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hyletics. The three categories. Psychics, of, the three categories. Like yeah, psychological are, uh, categories, I guess. Exactly. You know what I found interesting about that is that, okay, so I'll lay that out. It's, and it's pneumatic, I think. I'm pretty sure it's pneuma. I, don't, I think you pronounce that P, pneumatic. Oh, okay. I believe so. I believe so. In the traditional Greek, I think that they pronounce those Ps. 
those are the spiritual seekers that are ready for gnosis. On, on the other hand, there's hyletics, hyletics, and these are earthbound materialistic people. And then in between them, there's what, what are called uh, uh, psychics or psychics, I imagine, psychic. Not exactly sure, but uh, I need more studying on my ancient Greek. Uh, but these are the mental, emotional individuals uh, that are focused on ethics and they need rules. But they are aspiring. They're sort of in the middle ground between those earthbound and those spiritual uh, categories. But what I, I found really interesting about that is that corresponds exactly to the three gunas uh, in the Hindu system, in the yoga system, uh, of uh, the pneumatic being the sattvic, uh, the hyletic being a tamasic, or a heavy type of, a, of an individual, kind of de denser, more earth-oriented, and a rajistic type of a personality, which is more fiery and, and mental and emotional. So there's, an, there's a direct correlation. And there is good evidence that actually um, much of these Gnostic traditions had influences from Eastern traditions because they, the Silk Roads and the, silk tra the, and the trading routes that went all the way to China and India were traveled uh, extensively. And they, they did archaeological excavations on some of these things and found many of these, these, these strange Gnostic mixes of things. It would be Buddhist and Gnostic, Christian and Jewish uh, iconography uh, put together. Much of that stuff has been destroyed uh, by extreme, uh, uh, extreme Islam, unfortunately. Those temples are in uh, dangerous spots now these days. Uh, but but a lot of it is still there, and there are pictures of it and so on. So you can see some of that. Uh, so then the essential thing in, in Gnosticism, going kind of beyond those three types, is that the, the nature of the human being really is divine. Uh, Heller points out that Gnosticism sees men and women as gods and goddesses who have forgotten who they are. And then he likens that idea to the idea of, of having a central or original Buddha nature within or the, the Atman, they talk about in Hinduism, the Atman, that's the true self that's connected to the, you know, the divine. Uh, so, so we've kind of forgotten, we've kind of forgotten who we are. Well, he also mentions um, in the last sentence of that section, or last uh, two sentences, uh, that humans are caught in a predicament where the limitations imposed by physical existence are combined with a triple ignorance, ignorance of our origins, ignorance of our true nature, and ignorance of our ultimate destiny, uh, which uh, also brings up, or maybe relates to, uh, Sri Aurobindo, the 20th century, uh, very prolific writer, uh, holy man, um, author of The Life Divine and a number of other books. That was probably the one that he's most noticed for, but um, he talked about original sin, sin being original ignorance. Mm. And it's like a sevenfold ignorance, uh, just like this triple ignorance that, that Heller's referring to. And it, essentially, though, the big ignorance is not knowing who you are, uh, not knowing that actually we are spiritual beings and not just, oh, that's a nice thing to say. Oh, I'm a spiritual being in a physical body. It's like, well, yeah, yeah but what does that mean? And what, what does that really do mean? with that? What does sure. that, you know, my gosh, yeah. you know, that's it's not to be taken lightly. <laughs> No, for sure. That's a really great point and a, and a, and a great uh, piece of information about Aurobindo. Um, he also pointed out, it, it's, it's interesting you mentioned sevenfold uh, 
system. He also talked about how we need to, he lays out a list and he talks about salvation through the, the knowledge or gnosis of these, these following things. And, and he says who, who we were, uh, what we have become of where we were, of wherein we have been cast, of where to we are hastening, of what we are being freed, of what birth really is, and of what birth, of what rebirth really is. So he's got kind of an eight eightfold path of of, of knowledge or or you know or, or ignorance there. So interesting. I wonder if there's any overlap between Aurobindo's and his. Um, so essentially, what then are we looking for if we're trapped in this world? We are looking for release. We are looking for gnosis. We are looking for salvation. Um, and he really kind of wraps this up on the last couple of pages and talks about how this is not really possible completely on our own. Yes, we need to put in our own work. But then he also goes to point out how uh, we need help from divine messengers of light, divine messengers of light. And he points out that Jesus is such a divine messenger of light. So was Seth, who was, uh, was Adam's third son, uh, the prophet Mani. And there's many other figures that, that the Gnostics revere, uh, including, uh, including Buddha in some cases, depending on where those Gnostics were. Uh, so that's, that's, those are those messengers of light. So they see Jesus in a much different, uh, a diff much different role than traditional Christians do. Uh, in that they see him as 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 one of many of these light bringers, whereas I think the average Christian would say that was heresy and would in fact say you know that you, you, that's probably going to send you straight to hell if you think that because jesus in 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 you know traditional Christianity he is the the one the one sort of true way to salvation and i'm and I'm not knocking that by any means when I say that I'm just noticing the differences between gnosticism and and traditional Christianity. Uh, so they didn't look for salvation from sin, but they were looking instead for release from unconsciousness or incomprehension, like you, you were just talking about, um, this freedom from these different ignorances, um, different misunderstandings, right? Yes. So these great messengers of light are then bringing in uh, a couple of things. They're bringing teachings that lead our hearts or minds to this gnosis, and then the second thing they're bringing is these liberating mysteries, the liberating mysteries. So what are those? Well, they're mysterious. Uh, and the mysteries are, of course, these different rites and initiations that were practiced, different types of meditation, mystical rituals, dramas, all of the different things. Much of that is, is, uh, is, is contested about what those, those type of rituals actually were. However, uh, Dr. Heller does point out how a lot of uh, information can be found in the Gospel of Philip. So that's why that Nag Hammadi find was so important. There is actually sort of some theological and ritual information in the Gospel of Philip, if you're interested in, in looking at some of that. Uh, so so that, was, uh, that was the main way that these, these, this gnosis occurred, was through the mysteries, uh, through their different rituals and initiations, and then through the teachings. And of course, you had to rely also on your, you know, on having faith in these messengers of light, which would help you uh, to achieve, achieve that salvation. So, you know, Gnosticism is still quite uh, alive and well today. 
uh, as you were talking about, uh, there's much, uh, much to be found on, on YouTube. You can get more information as well uh, by reading Dr. Heller's books, H-O-E-L-L-E-R. Uh, and they can be found on Amazon. I think his website is gnosis.org, isn't it? I think so. I think uh, they have that, the, which uh, is a, Ecclesia Gnostica. Ecclesia Gnostica. Which exactly. is his uh, church, you might want to call it, uh, his place. Um, now he's moved, like physical locations in uh, in the Los Angeles area. I think he's at the uh, Annie Besant uh, Lodge um, on Beachwood, which is, if you oh, have ever visited Los Angeles, if you're from out of town, Beachwood is the road. Basically, if you get on Beachwood and look north, it looks like it drives right up to the Hollywood sign, which it kind yeah. of almost does. Uh, and that's where the Hollywood land gate is. Uh, and this area was, um, you know, habitated by a theosophist um, yeah. in the early part of the 20th century. So it, it kind of, even that area has kind of a rich, is that uh, where, rich tradition. Uh, is that where Crotona was or, or was Crotona up where Vedante is now? Do you know? Well, the it, Crotona it was, it was LA. The yeah, it was the beginnings of Crotona, but the Crotona proper, I guess, is in Ojai. Um, I know, but the Los Angeles version of it, yeah, was, that would was, have been there. There would have been was there right? to live, uh, and there was there the, were halls for 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 residents and, and residents yeah. and 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 um, one of the main reasons. Uh, this is there theosophy, were several, by the theosophy. way, we're talking about. Yeah, uh, so. so we're talking. Uh, well, Madame Blavatsky being Blavatsky's. one of the uh, the founders exactly. uh, of this movement, but this is more. We're talking Ledbetter and. Um, and Besant's breakoff and, and group, right? Yeah, and, and more U.S. based. U.S. based, uh, exactly. I think they were originally from Chicago. Uh, if I'm, that sounds right. But they moved to Los Angeles in the early 20th century um, for one of the reasons being that part of the tradition is growing healing herbs and medicinal plants, and because Los Angeles things can bloom and grow. All year it is long. a paradise. This, exactly. is, this was perfect for them. I'm sure there were other reasons. A lot of other people came, came there because it was a new place. It was the West. It was, you know, open up and free and thinking. It has that. Yeah, exactly. And it still has that kind of, um, I don't know. There's, there's just an energy there for, for, for spirituality. It's, it can't be explained. You either get it or you don't. It's kind of like Sedona or New Mexico, Taos, New Mexico. Some of these places, they just seem to be vortexes of spirituality. Yeah. Uh, L.A. is definitely one of them. Um, another good book you can check out, uh, is the actual non-commodity itself. The one that it's a collection, uh, Marvin Meyer, I'm looking at it right now. Um, and then his Gnostic Bible, Marvin Meyer's book are both just, uh, treasure troves of, of wisdom. So those are some, some resources you can check out. We're going to do more work on Gnosticism and, uh, in particular, I think on this wisdom of the knowing ones, uh, in the podcast. So listen up for those. Uh, that's about it for us today. Thank you for listening. Um, this is the Cosmic Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Napolitano. And thank you for, for tuning in each week with us. Please, uh, please uh, go ahead and rate us if you like us and subscribe to our podcast. And also go to CosmicEye.org and uh, check out the other things that, uh, that we're doing. Um, and buy Chris and I's book. Please help support us. You know, there's a, a blatant uh, plug for that uh, because it does help keep us, uh, keep us on the air. Uh, my book is uh, If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, and Chris's is The Spirit in the Sky, Chris Sheridan. And we are out. Thank you again for, for uh, being here, Chris. 
Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye and God bless.